From years of anxiety to warrior and mentor, Bradley Robinson created the Anxiety Project to help you end your anxiety naturally. Let's mold the new you and let's end anxiety together. Hello and welcome to episode 179 of the Anxiety Project podcast. I am Brad Robinson. Today, I'm talking about the don't do's during a panic attack. Really important because you want to be braver than you are, right? You want to overcome this thing called anxiety. You want to overcome these fearful situations. What do you do? But most importantly today, what do you not do when you are in a time of panic? Now, before we dive in, let's talk about Michelle Hearn's interview last episode. I was so fortunate to talk to her about nutrition, about how the nutritional guidelines have lied to us, and really how to heal the mind and body through food. Uh, you guys left some great comments, starting with Sloan20. They say, such a information-packed episode. I noticed that the more I cut sugars and grains from my diet, the better I feel. It's funny that the more I strip away the toxic foods that make me feel slow and bloated, I am left with meat and eggs. Absolutely. Lenny says, you should find more great guests like Michelle for your show. Loved it. Thank you. Soa19 says, I can't believe the food pyramid had been alive for so many years. Whole one-ingredient foods is what's important for health. I highly recommend Big Fat Surprise to anyone who wants to optimize their health. This was a great episode, by the way. Yeah, Soa, uh, great book, by the way. I've read Big Fat Surprise. It's written by Nina Teicholtz. And if you want to know more about how the nutritional guidelines have lied to us for decades about the butter, cholesterol found in meat and eggs and you know meat causing cancer, all of these ridiculous accusations. If you want to learn more about those things, I recommend this book. You'll see where these lies has stemmed from, but also Nina lays out the newer studies, the studies that prove where people are on keto and carnivore, they their health greatly improves. They gain healthy cholesterol. They, they live longer, and uh, there's no sign of any development of cancer in, in, in those things. And it, she just lays it all out for you. So if you want to dive more into you know, this kind of way of eating, which I really, really recommend. This is a great book. Now, what are the big do nots when you are faced with panic? I list, I think four, yeah, four big do nots. And, it's, and when you do the opposite of these, you will overcome panic slowly, gradually, but you will eventually over time, the more you voluntarily put yourself in these situations and uh, do these strategies, work with your anxiety response rather than against it. It is important that I talk about the amygdala, our fear response, the 
part of the brain that initiates the fight, flight, or freeze response. I talk it talk about it a lot on my channel. So if you want to learn more about the amygdala in detail, go to the Anxiety Project channel, type in um, the amygdala, type in the, the fear response, and I have many videos and other podcasts in greater detail about the amygdala. But in this episode, I do want to touch upon it. It's really important to understand this part of the brain, this almond-shaped part of the brain. And its role is to attach emotional significance to situations or objects and form emotional memories. Now, it works by association. It receives outside data before the cortex, the more evolved part of our brain. It's the thinking brain. It's where we imagine and use our imagination. We are caught in daydreams, and it's where we use rational thoughts to problem solve. Now, I'll say this again. It receives, the amygdala receives outside data before the cortex. So you feel the symptoms of anxiety before you can articulate and comprehend what is really happening because the amygdala is part of our ancient brain system. It's always been there and it's evolved over a long period of time to keep us safe. And I'll give you an example of me not really comprehending what was going on when my fear response was active. As you may or may not know, I used to suffer from health anxiety, panic attacks, agoraphobia before I became a coach, right? I overcame this naturally, and that's what drove my passion to be a coach. And when I was suffering from health anxiety, I remember sitting in a workshop and I would get all of these sensations. I would feel the anxiety sensations. And then I would then engage in what-if thoughts from my cortical brain. So I would feel the heartbeat, the perspiration, the nausea, the tense feeling, the shallow depth of field. The, the the tingly sensations in my hands. And then I would think, oh no. And it's usually the oh no that would facilitate my anxiety and panic even more. And that's my cortical brain reacting to the amygdala, right? The, the cortical brain was like, oh no. Oh no. And then it'll start to imagine things, worst case scenarios. It'll start to spout catastrophic thoughts. And the memory of the amygdala is longer lasting than the cortex. So anxiety often doesn't make sense to the cortical brain. And the cortical brain has trouble reasoning it away. That's why when you are caught in the grip of your fear response, 
You can't seem to think your way out or comprehend what is happening. That's because the amygdala is now in the driver's seat. And it needs to be in order for you to jump away from the lion or uh, jump away from the snake, right? But you're sitting in a classroom or like me, I was sitting in a workshop. There's no obvious snake. There's no obvious lion. So that's what made me more confused. And that's what makes anxiety sufferers more confused is that there's no obvious threat because they think, well, I'm just sitting here in a classroom. There must be something wrong with me, my health, or there must be, you know, I must be going crazy. The more you understand the anxiety response, the more you can work with this system, you may experience an emotional reaction to a certain situation. And the cortex does not recall where it came from. And that's fascinating. But you can track it. Because you have to ask yourself this question. Was there an experience that could have taught me to fear this particular situation? And then you might think, well, yeah, there was an experience when I was 10 years old. And I was watching a movie with my parents. And I had a panic attack. And I didn't know what was going on. I had a strong fear of losing control. And I, I feared that I was going crazy and that I was this unique individual, right? And you can go back to that experience and reframe it. But let's get into the first of the don't do's during a panic attack. Do not leave the environment because you are afraid of losing control and dying. Do not leave. When a bear sees you run from it, it infers you to be prey because things that the bear eats run away. So the bear has associations, right? Things that run away is lunch. The same goes with the amygdala. When you leave the situation, the amygdala immediately makes many associations between the environment that you left and what should be avoided to keep you safe. You are the prey, and the situation you ran away from was the predator. And what does this ancient anxiety response want? To avoid things that could kill you. It's the same when you react to a certain sensation, heart palpitation, body pain, ache, nausea, dizziness. The amygdala associates that sensation as a danger to you and that spirals into a panic. So you leave the environment because you feel like you're losing control you might die, and you might make a fool of yourself 
And the amygdala associates not only the sensation to be life-threatening, but that very environment to be as well. But it's not just that particular environment. It's environments that are similar to the one you just ran away from. It could be any situation that may make you feel trapped where there are lots of people and you are far away from your safe zone. I'll give you an example. I had a panic attack in a classroom once. And then I had a panic attack at the symphony. Those aren't the same environments. But they are to the amygdala. Okay, what does that mean? Well, in a classroom, I'm with a bunch of people. I don't want to get up and walk out because I'll draw attention. And I believe that walking out will have many consequences because I won't be attending the class. And then, you know, I won't pass. And in the symphony environment, there's a crowd of people. It's seated like a classroom. You're seated one way and then you're watching something and you feel trapped because there's people all around you and you don't want to get up and draw attention to you and bother other people as you get up. And you also, you don't want to faint or throw up in that particular environment because the people will potentially judge you, right? And yeah, it's there's many, many, many attributes there. And so other than those two situations... The art gallery is another situation where I had a panic attack and it's the same as those other two, right? There's many people. I was on a date with now my fiance and I didn't want to draw attention to her because we were starting our relationship at the time. So I didn't want to leave or I didn't want to make a fool out of myself in front of her or die in front of her or look weak in front of her. So as you can see, these situations are similar, even though when you do have a panic attack, each time you do, it feels like a new experience. It feels like this is something new or this one is going to get me. This is the one. But that's not the case. The second do not is do not call family for support. Now, if they lack knowledge of anxiety, they will only coddle you. This will not make you better or braver and more independent, but it'll keep you dependent on the comfort and their comfort words. Have a resource. Have a model of someone who had the same problem as you and solved the problem, got better, lessened their anxiety. And you might have a video, say, of mine in your back pocket. And so when you do have panic, you can pull out the video or the podcast episode and say, hey, this is what Brad does. I'm going to use his information as a tool to get my mind right, to settle me down, to understand what is going on. Because you're trying to figure that out, aren't you? 
and you need to learn, you need to grow, you need to understand anxiety. This is your responsibility. So use these people, use this resource, this podcast as a tool for you to overcome this mountain in your life. And these family members, friends, coworkers, they may say things like, oh, this is not good. Your heart is beating really fast. This is concerning. They may say things like that. And that not, not only does that snowball your anxiety, but they may phone an ambulance and then everything just becomes more chaotic. You go to the doctors, you're getting checked out, and it's more of a traumatic experience. The third thing you do not want to do is Google your symptoms. What happens when you Google your symptoms? It opens a doorway to more and more possibilities. You're already contending with this unknown snake that is going on, right? This unknown symptom, this unknown problem. And when you Google... It opens the door to many other potential what-ifs. And so more snakes come about. And that's not good because now you have to contend with many other snakes and now your anxiety response is spiraling more into chaos because too much unknown is not good. Your stress response goes bananas. So Googling, not a good idea. The fourth do not is do not use distracting agents. Netflix, your phone, social media, alcohol for comfort, for a distraction, right? You can use the cortex to engage in rational dialogue. So when you are in panic mode, everything is chaos, you're confused, overwhelmed, there is a way you can use your cortex. Remember how I said the amygdala takes over all other brain processes? It just makes it more difficult to engage in the rational cortex, your thinking brain. But that doesn't mean you can't you certainly can and when you engage in rational dialogue this reaches and speaks to the amygdala really important to understand anxiety persists if you attempt to ignore or you try and gain control of what's going on you can use phrases like so what? Or if it kills me, let it kill me. Those phrases are important to accept the situation and surrender to the situation and to calm down that raging dog, right? Calm down the dog, the, the amygdala. Use these phrases. It's harder to think long sentences, right? So use short utterances. So what? So what? Say it like a mantra. 
or say, if it kills me, let it kill me. You can look at it like a rope tied to a brick wall. As you're pulling on this rope, thinking that this will work, not even seeing the brick wall there, the more you pull, the more drained and exhausted you become. And so this is the same as when you're trying to control your anxiety. You're trying to get a grip over what is happening. You're just burning more resources, not knowing that the rope is tied to a brick wall. Just let go of the rope. Just let go. You have to stay in the pain without any distractions. You have to ride the wave of panic. A massive part of the desensitization process is for you to become bored of the situation you fear. So the more you stay there, the more bored you become. And then your amygdala is now making associations between this environment and safety. It's saying, hey, Brad is not dying in this environment. I get it. But you have to keep putting yourself in those scenarios so that the amygdala understands. You can't do that when you avoid. You can't do that when you're distracting yourself with your phone or going on Netflix or drinking alcohol or you know smoking weed. You have to ride that wave and suffer through that pain. Push through that pain and chaos. If it kills me, so be it. Then you find yourself not dying, but very much able to get through these situations. And then you look at yourself and you're like, wow, I can't believe I did this. The older me couldn't do this before. I am capable of much more than I thought I was. Panic attacks are opportunities for you to prove your old self wrong. Lastly, I used to tell myself, I hope I get a panic attack today. Because I started to realize that me waking up in the morning and fearing having a panic attack, losing control today, it was not getting any better. I started to tell myself, hey, you know what? I hope I get a panic attack today because it's an opportunity to prove my old self wrong. It's an opportunity to challenge myself. And the more I told the universe, I want a panic attack today, I hope I get one, the less often the panic would come about and the braver I became because I was more willing to face the dragon rather than hide away from the dragon and use words like, oh my God, what if the dragon, you know, comes out and eats me or what if it, he, the dragon surprises me today? No. I switched it. I'm going to surprise the dragon today because I'm tired of living in fear. And that's where I'm going to leave you on today's podcast episode. Thank you so much for all of your comments, your support. Please rate and review this podcast on Spotify, on iTunes. 
because the more you do, the more the message gets out to people who are currently suffering from panic and anxiety. And lastly, do not let anxiety define who you are. I will see you on the next podcast episode. Bye for now. Brad's Powerful Anxiety Recovery Program is now available at unpluganxiety.com. The Anxiety Project Program is downloadable and puts the power of anxiety recovery in your own hands. Visit unpluganxiety.com for more details. Recovery starts now.